I think there's a lot of opportunity there to, to buy these assets and, and professionalize the operation. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. With me, excited to have Jonathan Twombly. Jonathan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's great to be on the show. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, absolutely, man. Great, great to have you again. And um, man, I, it seems like we've like known each other for a long time. We got to meet each other finally physically mm-hmm. in in the flesh uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. What was that? Maybe I don't know. Was back that the June. summer? Or? It was in June. Yeah, it was in June. Yeah, yeah. early summer. So that was. It's funny. You get to know a lot of people virtually through podcasts and bigger pockets, Facebook, whatever, all this kind of stuff. And you feel like you all of a sudden like know them pretty well. And, you know, you and I've of course chatted before and you meet each other the first time. I'm like, is this the first time we've met in person? Yeah. Oh yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. Okay. It was kind of funny actually that we had, you know, and you've been really active in my Facebook group and stuff. So we, we interact a lot with each other, but yeah. we had never actually see each other face to face. So that was fun. That's always good. So, well, cool, man. So, uh, welcome to the show. Why don't you give our listeners a bit about your background, then we'll dive in. Sure. So uh, I'm a former Wall Street lawyer. I did commercial litigation for about 12 years uh, in New York and Boston and London. Uh, then 2011, got laid off, uh, which was a, something I was really happy about, actually, because I was really miserable in my job. Uh, I jumped into multifamily at that point um, and never looked back. I have a syndication business here in uh, New York City called Two Bridges Asset Management. Um, I don't have any uh, multifamily deals that I'm a lead sponsor on right now. I'm co-GP on a whole bunch of deals. Uh, I had sold my whole portfolio a couple of years ago and recently have become becoming involved in hotel investing. So I just purchased a hotel in the process of renovating that and uh, looking to do more of those. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. What, okay, so let's talk through, you sold your portfolio um, several years ago. 2019. Yep. 2019, everything was sold by 2019. What, what, was, the, what was the idea of, of that? Why did you sell everything? And, you know, I guess we can talk through kind of that. Yeah, so there, there were a number of things that were behind the decision to sell. Um, one was that you know, we'd, we'd held most of those properties for four or five years, kind of getting to the point where we wanted to look at, at exiting and, and start to develop you know, a, a full cycle track record. That was part of it. Um, part of it was also that you know, these were all C to B minus mm. kind of properties. And uh, you know, some of them performed spectacularly well, but others of them were really just not doing so great. You know, we always had collection problems and the other kinds of things that you that you deal with on C properties. And I remember thinking like, gosh, if we're having this much trouble getting people to pay us rent and the economy is really good, what is this going to look like when the economy is not so good? And there was a lot of talk at that time. I think people have forgotten because COVID sort of just overwhelmed everything. But there was a lot of talk at the time about, you know, looking to go and that, that it was looking like we were going into a recession. There's 
you know, there's even some economists who say the, the, com- the country had actually entered a recession in the beginning yeah. of 20, 2020. Uh, but, um, but, you know, like I said, COVID overwhelmed it. But anyway, I was thinking like, you know, gosh, I, I, I think it's probably time to move on from these assets. And at the same time, I, I literally got an offer for the properties um, that was way more than I thought they were worth. So um, a broker came to me and said, you know, would you consider selling? And I, I, I threw out a number which was calculated to make him go away and leave me alone because I thought it was a ridiculous number. And he came back and said, yeah, they'll, they'll accept that. So I was like, okay, I'm selling, you know, so, <laughs> um, so that, that's kind of what, what went into it. Uh, and I didn't really anticipate sort of being out of things um, for this long. I, you know, but then COVID happened and I kind of was yeah. just kind of content to sort of watch that play out for a while. So that, I mean, that, you know, that takes a, a level of, I would say, courage to, to sell everything too and to go, hey, we're going to sit on the sidelines for a little bit. Maybe not sidelines, but, you know, we don't have, I don't have a prod, like I don't have a property right now. And so I'm selling. So I'm truly on the sidelines until the next deal is purchased. To, Looking back at that decision and and knowing now kind of what happened, what are your thoughts on that? Was that a, a good decision? Do you say, man, I should, I wish I would have kept those, or I should have done something different, or do you go, hey, you know what? I think that was a good choice. Yeah, I mean, the way that I look at it, I, I know if I'd held onto those properties, it would have made more money. Right? Yeah, I mean, hindsight, obviously. Obviously, in hindsight, I mean, but. Nobody really knew, even in the beginning of COVID, how that was going to affect oh, the property. Especially market. at the beginning of COVID. Yeah, especially at the beginning. I remember having, you know, conversations with guys I mastermind with where everybody was battening down the hatches. Oh, and yeah. they were like, and I remember just remember thinking at that time, like, I'm so happy I don't own any multifamily right now. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. I'm not dealing with any of this. Yeah. But, I was freaked out. I mean, yeah. tenants didn't have to pay their rent. Literally, the government told, they gave them a yeah. free pass to not pay us. Yeah. And especially if you were, if you had like C properties at yeah. the time too, right? That was where people really got hit because you know your your A class properties, people just, kept, I mean that, you know that that money was like on auto deduction from their accounts yeah. and they didn't even pay yeah, attention just the to ACH, it. ACH, it's happening, whatever. Yeah. So they, but you know, at the C stuff, yeah. I mean, I know, and I saw deals. I looked at deals, uh, you know, in from that point forward, and you know, people would bring me off market stuff, and I'd look at it and go like you have this major, I'm not touching that because I, I see what's going on here with the collections issues that people have and stuff like that. So anyway, I, I was happy at the time I wasn't in it, but, yeah. but obviously I know that like if I, if I held on the properties, I would have probably made twice as much money as I made because of the way that the market got nuts, but that's, you can't like live your life kind of second guessing yourself based on stuff that you couldn't have predicted. So mm-hmm. I always go back and I, I kind of, I, I think, yeah, it was, I made the right decision at the time to sell those properties. Like we exited, we did well, our, we made our investors a lot of money. They were very happy. And, you know, the whole idea that, well, you know, maybe you could have made more money if you held on longer. It, it's pointless to kind of engage in that exercise. Not, not to mention the fact that you couldn't, it was really a, a kind of a black swan event that happened after that, that caused the property market to go, to do what it did. And now, you know, now we see, we're kind of like, the comeuppance is happening now, right? Yeah. So the um, roosters are coming to crawl. 
they totally are. So I, I still think it was the right decision at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, it's easy, it's easy to forget, but in 2019 into 2020, there was all this talk about a recession. We are we are approaching it. Uh, we are more than due for it. And there was a lot of kind of, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it was likely going to be a massive recession, but there was a lot of, you know, indicators saying that we're probably going to see a slowdown at least, at least a small recession here uh, coming soon. And then, like you said, COVID hit and that just completely changed the entire ball game. Of course, that was a COVID induced recession for a very short period of time. I don't even know if you'd want, if you call it a recession, it was a COVID shutdown for a period of time there, but then, then the market went nuts and black swan event that you could never have predicted. So you sold all these properties, but what, so how do you, like you got these investors, you made them good money and you don't have anything for them to get into. What was, was there a reaction there? Was there a, a level of communication that you provided them to kind of try to keep them like engaged with you or how did you take me through that? Cause that's a, that's a little different too. Yeah. So, you know, at the time I didn't really have a very big investor base. So yeah. um, most of the people that had invested with me were, it was kind of a small number of very large check writers. Right? Gotcha. And so they were, uh, they were kind of out of multifamily anyway. I mean, I made the money and they didn't, they, they didn't say like, Hey, what's the next thing? It was kind of like, okay, we've done that. We've made some money here. And, and, and that was it. Now, one of those um, investors uh, is, is now the investor in the hotel I just bought. I only have one investor in that deal. Uh, and they supplied all the capital for that. So they did come back. Right. But they were also wary, I mean, especially when, when COVID hit and stuff, um, yeah about investing, but uh, so, you know, it's interesting, like one of the things that I did, probably starting before that, I, I, I had uh, at one point early on in my career, sort of uh, probably around the time when we first encountered each other, I, I, I ran into a situation where I had a lot of trouble raising capital for a deal. I had a really good deal and I couldn't raise the money for it, right? Hmm. And was really shocked because I hadn't had trouble raising the money before, but like all my big investors were out for, for various reasons, had nothing to do with the deal. Like, you know, one of them was getting divorced. The other one was like, you know, was in Japan and they were like, Hey, the deals don't look so great at this exchange rate anymore. You know? So they were out. And, and I, I, I believe that notion and, and the, the partner I was working on with the deal at the time, like we were like, Hey, everybody says, if you have a great deal, you'll find the money, the, right? The money will come. And so we're like, okay, we'll go for it. And then, you know, buckets, right? And we we went, we tried to talk with some private equity folks. We, we were like really scrounged the bottom of the earth, you know, the scrounged the bottom of the barrel trying to find capital and couldn't do it. And so we had to walk away from the deal, lost a lot of, you know, some of our earnest money deposit because we bought an extension, to, you know, we bought to let some money go hard to buy time. And so at that point, I realized I really needed to switch my kind of tactics uh, and start trying to develop a list. So that was when I started developing my, my Facebook group and started getting more serious about marketing uh, and, and develop a bigger list. But those like that first set of investors, uh, you know, they were, they were kind of out, you know, like until this hotel deal and they didn't really, um, I do remember actually I had a deal that I was, that I was 
GPing, a co-GPing deal in Atlanta. And one of my investors really loved Atlanta and he was going to put in a couple million. And then, but it was in the middle of COVID and he owns all this property in Hawaii, like commercial property, like, you know, his, you know, he owned the building that the Hard Rock Cafe was in in Hawaii and stuff. And he wasn't getting paid any rent on commercial tent, you know, and he was like, we're not doing anything. Like we're just hoarding cash until to get through this. So um, the, the money that I've raised subsequently has been from that list I developed afterwards. What are some of the things that you did to develop that list? You, you know, you had your first investors and small, small group of investors. I'm assuming those were, you know, friends, family, people you've worked with, people maybe your spouse worked with, um, that type of thing. Is that correct? Yeah, that was, they were, you know, basically some long-term, very, like very long-term friends who were very successful. So how, how then take me through your approach that you took to build this new database, this new list? Yeah. So it really was the Facebook group. And I, I was one of the first people that, you know, built the Facebook group. Um, and I mean, I think at the time I remember bigger pockets had a Facebook group, but it was, they didn't, there was nothing going on in that Facebook group. And maybe Rod Cleef had one, I can't remember, but there really weren't really very many. So I, I started this Facebook group and my idea really, I was very unhappy, not unhappy. I thought, I thought like bigger pockets was not serving the multifamily investor community very well. It was very focused on single family and fixed yeah. flips and short-term rentals and stuff. And so I thought there, there really needs to be a place where people could talk about multifamily. So that list, that group grew very fast and you know, it was, it grew into the thousands like relatively quickly. So I was able to, from that list, develop, you know, an, an investor list, you know, start getting people out of the Facebook group and onto my email list and, and also develop a coaching program too from, from that group. So uh, that, that group was really instrumental in helping me get past the friends and family, uh, you know, circle. Interesting. So people from that list then would connect with you and, um, you'd have investor conversations and, and these people turned into investors through a Facebook group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, wow. and back in those days, I mean, you know, that Facebook group was really active. I was really active in the Facebook group. Uh, you know, it's kind of in there every day, answering a lot of questions, you know, just kind of posting and stuff like that. So it was a good way to build credibility and build authority with people and kind of demonstrate my knowledge. And so yeah. that, that, and, and forge a connection with people, but, you know, yeah. unfortunately Facebook is not as easy now uh, to get uh, like traction on Facebook. There's a lot of competition, but there's also yep. Facebook has changed its algorithms so that it, people don't even see posts a lot of times. And so uh, it hasn't been as good uh, a, a way of developing an audience as it once was, but, um, but still it was, it was very helpful for me. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not on Facebook much anymore. I was, uh, do you still have the group? I do still have the group. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I would see the posts all the time and I would engage in, in the posts. And I, I, quite frankly, again, I'm not on Facebook very often. I don't really spend a lot of time on it anymore, but when I am on it, I, I don't see the posts. And that's probably because of what you said, the Facebook's changed our algorithms. I started a Facebook group and uh, the challenge for me, and this was quite a ways after yours, right? So, so things had probably changed quite a bit, but one of the challenges for me and why I kind of just said, forget this is 
I would only have advertising posts, you know, guys and gals that would put on there, Hey, I got this deal or, you know, whatever, a broker trying to, you know, put their deal on there, whatever it was, it was like, you know, only spam pretty much that would happen. Every once in a while, somebody would try to add some good value. Um, but how did you, do you have a lot of that on your Facebook group and how did you get past that? So the first thing I did was I wrote a set of rules for the Facebook group saying yeah. you're not allowed to post deals. Yeah. I tried and to then, do that too. And then I, then I was very active about deleting. And, and I, I used to have a one strike policy, which was the minute anybody posted a deal, I would just ban them from the group. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't warn them or anything. I'd just say you're out. And we, we used to actually have a lot of fun in the group around that issue where we would kind of like people kind of like got excited and I would like ban somebody and then I would like talk about it and everybody would be like, yeah, you, you banned that guy. We also had like, we had like spam at the time, I don't know if you remember the binary options virus, but there like, there was this, like before Bitcoin, there's this thing that people, it was basically a scam, but it was this idea that like you would make a bet on, on the price of a stock being higher or lower than a, than the, a certain price on a certain day. And it was just basically betting, but they called it a binary option. Yeah. And eventually the, the government shut this down. Um, but there were all these people on Facebook who were like, there were just thousands of them who were like selling binary options and they were always posting in the group. So we had a lot of fun around like the banning, the binary options guy. And everybody was like, every time one of these people posted, like everybody would be reporting it and they'd all be like commenting like you're a scammer. So it was actually kind of fun. Uh, but you know, now I still get people posting deals. But what I find now is there's a lot of people who are people who are posting deal deals are often people who have a VA who's just posting in every mm. single group. And so even sometimes they're like friends of mine. And I'm like, come on, dude. Like, yeah, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, it's my VA. I'm really sorry. So, you know, but I think in general, a lot of people have they're not as engaged on Facebook as they used to be. Yeah. A lot of people who use it for business. I've outsourced it. So there's not even them engaged in it anymore. And yeah. and I think it's really changed. It's not, it's not the fun place it used to be, you know? So. Yeah. What's the fun place? Did you, or do you use any other social media forms or. No, I mean, I don't even really use LinkedIn. I know some people are very successful posting on LinkedIn uh, for their, to develop their multifamily business. It's something I've thought about, but um, yeah. I, I don't, I don't do LinkedIn. I've, I, I, you know, I follow a couple of like, you know, waterfall sites or something on Instagram, you know, like just to get some nice, beautiful pictures to, to my phone <laughs> once in a while. And that's pretty much it. I've never been on TikTok. So, uh, you know, I'm you not... got to start your TikTok page, man. <laughs> that's getting, what my mark, my marketing it. person is like, oh, you got to be on TikTok. You yeah, on TikTok. I, that's, that's what I've heard. I'm not on TikTok either, but I've heard it's the, it's the place to be. New, t- tell me about the hotels. Why, why hotels? What are you doing with those uh, hotels and and uh, what's the future in that? Yeah, so this is so the hotel business is something that I didn't really expect to get into, um, and it sort of has developed out of, I guess, call it like a passion project. But then I realized that there may be something more here. So uh, we we own a house uh, way up in upstate New York in an area called the Finger Lakes, which is like a big wine region. It's probably like the best wine region on the East coast, kind of starting to get comparisons to like Sonoma and Napa and stuff like that. And it's, it's just a spectacularly beautiful place. And we, we would um, literally to get to our house, we would have to drive by, but sort of about a half an hour before we get to the, to our house, we would have to drive by 
this uh, kind of old, kind of tired motel in an absolutely spectacular location. You know, so you drive up, you hit the crest of a hill, you get the spectacular view of the lake and there's this motel like right at that point. And it's just, it was like almost like a like a jarring thing, like the spectacular view with the kind of tired ho- you know, hotel there. And we would always drive by it and say, God, you know, it's such a shame. Somebody really ought to do something with this place. And then I was just on Crexy one day looking for just to see like what kind of stuff was on the market up there. You know, I was thinking, yeah, maybe might buy just a small multifamily for myself or something, or you know, just do a small deal with a couple of friends. And I saw that this hotel was for sale. And not only that, but it had been on the market for like a year and they just kept on cutting the price and cutting the price and cutting the price. And it was, you know, during COVID and stuff. So, uh, you know, I'm sure that they had had a hard time, but I was like, okay, this is kind of interesting. So I, I, I was like, well, I don't know anything about hotels, so I better find somebody who does. And I, I talked to, I just asked one of a business partner of mine, do you know anybody who's in the hotel business? He said, yeah, as a matter of fact, my wife's cousin is, has got a hotel management company. Why don't you talk to him? So I took the deal to him. I had him underwrite it. And we started talking about it. And we're like, you know what? I think this might make sense. So then I went to that investor I talked about before, uh, who I'd made a lot of money with um, the Japanese family and said, would you guys be interested in doing this hotel? I don't want to do any debt. I'm going to do this all cash, um, you know, purchase plus the, the renovation. And they said, yeah, no, we're, we're interested. So uh, it all sort of came together that way. Um, it took us forever to close, right? I mean, just forever to close, even though we had no debt on the deal. Why, why was that? Oh, because, you know, it was a mom and pop situation. Sure. They didn't really have a lot of records. Um, they also, there were all these things, like all these agreements with like their neighbors that were all on a handshake and like, you know, we had to sort all that stuff out and get them to paper all those agreements that they had with, you know, with their neighbors. And you know, there's like a shared water system and stuff like that. Like we had to iron out all those issues. Uh, and so it just took a really, and then it was just the general kind of like small town stuff versus the big city stuff that you're used to. So, you know, in New York, where everybody, New York City, where everybody is always like do it yesterday, you know, then you get upstate and it's sort of like, yeah, we'll get we'll get there when we can. Well, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get, to, we'll get to it. We promise. Yeah. So it it took a long time to close it, uh, but we finally did. Um, and, and, and yeah. And why cash? Why why didn't you finance it? Why would you decide to go cash? Uh, I just thought that it was riskier to do it with debt. I just didn't yeah. really know what I was getting into, like how what the cash flow was going to be like, and I just didn't so want to that interest rate risk off the table yeah not just the interest rate risk but just also just the payment like payment risk having to pay the debt and i thought it was because we hadn't i hadn't done one before um i i just felt more comfortable doing it all in cash and um probably you know if we do more of them now that now that i understand much better how these spaces operate what the cash flows are like i'll go at the next one in a very different way but but financing it will be one of the things that that i'll definitely do on on future acquisitions if i if i you know do more of that 
Yeah, interesting. And so is this is that your only hotel deal or have you done multiple? So so far this is the this is the only one. And you like it so far? I like it so far. I, and yeah. there's a lot of reasons why I like this. So for one thing, there's a lot of the, this so the small non-branded hotel yeah. segment is interesting because um there there are a lot of these small hotels out there, right? Yep. And they're typically owned by people who are who are baby boomers or maybe even older than baby boomers like maybe maybe even silent generation folks they their children don't want to take over the hotels right and you know they probably live far away somewhere else and the the hotels are not really set up uh for the brands right they're too small for the brands to take over or they don't meet the brand standards so the only exit for these, for most of these hotel owners, is uh, to sell to another owner operator. And if you think about that, like, well, who is really going to move to like one of these small towns? And and, and well, a lot like of times a, they live right there. There's oh yeah, like they usually house live right there. Yeah, they? they usually live like next to the hotel or across yeah. the street from the hotel, or at least yeah. in the same town. And so, like, who's going to buy these hotels? Right, like. Nobody, people don't have experience running hotels. It's like a, it's a real business operation. Maybe, you know, somebody might want to take on the challenge in retirement of running like a, you know, a B and B like a small four or five bedroom in, but like going and taking on like a 40 or 50 room hotel, right. With staff and all this sort of stuff, that's a big undertaking. So there's not a lot of exit for these people. As a result, you can buy these assets very cheaply, Right. And they, they often have a lot of deferred maintenance, like you, you need to upgrade them. The rooms are, you know, are just outdated and they don't have the capital to put into them. So like anybody who's going to buy the hotel also has to come in with a bunch of capital to redo it. So I think so that that's, creates an opportunity for people like you and me who know how to raise money, know how to bring in third party management, you know, know how to operate these things, uh, you know, from a step back from the operation, not like in it day to day. I think there's a lot of opportunity there to to buy these assets and and professionalize the operation. And and we literally found that, you know, on this hotel, they had been doing they were doing things the way that they had been doing them forever, right? So taking reservations yeah. on the phone, you know, nothing was automated. Yep. No technology. No technology. They yeah. weren't really advertising the hotel. They were very dependent on kind of like their repeat business, but their customer base was aging, right? And and so yep. Just even since we took over, we haven't even had a chance to start doing renovations yet. Uh, we will this winter, but just coming in and you know Im- improving the operations, improving the systems, improving the advertising. You know, we had a really good season, and now we're really looking forward to what happens next year after we've you know completed our renovations and hmm. have improved the place. You know that we'll be yeah. able to charge you know higher room rates. So I-, I think it's a great it's a great niche. So we're looking for potentially to do more is is it what are the what's the challenge of growing a business like that with these small operations is it property management is it maintenance what what's the what's the biggest challenge because like you said most of these are just like mom pa that live right there they so now all of a sudden you're taking that out of the equation yeah so that can you find? Well, so yeah, there? that is a Can't. that is a challenge, and I feel like I am pretty lucky that I found somebody who's able to manage these properties from a distance. And sort of one of the conversations I plan on yeah. having pretty soon with him is, hey, is 
essentially like, hey, what is your ability and willingness to scale your business so that we can grow together on this, right? Um, yeah. Like, yeah. So that, but the other challenge too is in a lot of these, a couple, a couple of challenges, you know, in a lot of these small towns, like the, the population is small. And so finding labor to work at the hotel is tough. Right. right. That's not just the management piece of it, but just finding people to the cleaners, the cleaners and, and yeah, the front desk people and maintenance, maintenance and all that. So, so finding people to yeah. work is a challenge. And then, you know, yeah. I've had discussions with, uh, the, with the town and, you know, they're super excited about what we're doing, but, you know, they've told me like, you know, I was talking with the mayor and he said, you know, one of the big problems we have in the town is lack of housing, right? I mean, this is like a problem everywhere, right? You get go to small town America and they have a housing shortage, right? And so, yeah. And and so they is. they say like, look, you know, the housing is so expensive around here. And this is we're talking like a rural area, right? Um the housing is so expensive yep. here that it's hard for us to attract workers into the town, right? To work. Yep. They got nowhere place to yeah, live. They got no- I've heard that so many times yeah. out of these small towns, they got no place to live. That they can't, so they can't find labor. Yeah, so that's that's the other challenge. Um, now, this this particular property, it actually came with a vacant house, which we're probably in the next couple of years we'll rehab the house and we'll have that that we can actually have you know people live in to work at the hotel, which will help. But yeah, it, it definitely is a, it is an issue. Uh, and, and I think the other thing too is when you have these hotels that are seasonal, well, what are the people going to do in the off season, right? You can you hire mm-hmm. people to work in the in the season and then they don't have a job the rest of the year so you know in this particular case we're we're moving from seasonal to year year-round operations so at least some of the staff will get year-round positions as a result but yeah uh, but still you know we need you need more people in the summer than you do in the winter need right? more people during your yeah. peak season yeah yeah interesting <laughs> Well, it'd be interesting to kind of see how this goes and progresses and if you continue to buy more or kind of how that operations works and maybe you'll have a model that other people can follow to be able to buy, uh, you know, a, a dozen or more of these smaller hotels kind of around the, the antler, the antler in and the, the whitetail, uh, the whitetail motel. Yeah. I mean, it seems like they're always uh, labeled something like that, at least around they, here. I mean, upstate New York too, it's the same sort of thing. You know? So <laughs> they, they have the same, you know, they were, it seems like they were all kind of built at the same time, like 1950s yes. and 1960s, probably a big, yep. a big, you know, boom and building these kinds of small hotels. And so they all have the same kinds of names. It's like, it's like apartment buildings, you know, all the 1970s apartment buildings all have the same kind of name on them. Right. And then, you know, so it's the same thing with the hotels. Love it. Love it. So Jonathan, you know, what do you see in here? Uh, What, what are you kind of doing moving forward? Um, obviously we're in this kind of weird interest rate environment, get a lot of, I'd say the cracks, a lot of those indications that say we're heading into recession. If, if we're not already in one, um, kind of like back in 2019 and 2020, early 2020, but I would say this, this time's probably even, even, uh, more serious. Uh, but what, what are you kind of looking at moving forward and how are you looking at the markets and multifamily and other various opportunities that, that might be good for your business yeah i mean i i still i mean i think probably like most people you'd have on the show i mean they're very bullish about multifamily long term right yeah and uh i think that there is a lot of opportunity with if you have a long view i think you know the issue is kind of getting over this hump 
in the market right now. But I, I do think there's going to be opportunity that we haven't seen in some time. Uh, you know, I think there's there are going to be people, you know, not that I wish ill on anybody, but I think there are probably people who went into uh, deals too aggressively, uh, you know, over leveraged themselves, just didn't structure things well, or, you know, were, were overly optimistic about their ability to execute a plan and a lot of new people who got into the market too. And I think we're going to see, unfortunately, some some pain and distress just purely from rising interest rates, you know, let alone whether there's then the other effect of having, you know, softening of rents, uh, you know, and, and, and <clears throat> rising vacancy. But I do think it's going to to lead to some opportunity uh, to buy assets at a more attractive price than we've seen in some time. So uh, I'm looking forward to to those opportunities, frankly. Uh, and if I can do more hotels, I, I would. I, I'm I'm now really starting to get into. I I you know you asked me before about. I'm sorry to kind of be long winded, but you'd asked me before about the hotel business. And one of the things I actually really like about this business is the creative aspect of it. You know, the multifamily is a little bit. Um, it's sort of like you're kind of doing the same finish everywhere. Like you're, it's, you know, you do your value add, it's sort of the same thing. It's like kind of cookie cutter. The the hotel, you know, you're just trying to provide a place that's clean and nice for people to stay and stuff. But beyond that, there's there's not, you know, maybe some amenities or whatever. The hotel business is very different because you have to convince people like every single day, you have to convince people to stay at your hotel, Yeah. right? Yeah. It's not like you convince them once and then they're there for a year and you don't have to convince them anymore. Like you got to, constantly it's turnover you got to give people a reason to be there at a hotel which means that yeah. you have to you have to provide a guest experience and you have to you know you really have to think about like all all the things you know the, the comfort of the beds and the linens and the way the place smells mm -hmm. and like the design and so i've really enjoyed the the redesign aspect of of the hotel business and the rebranding aspect of it too i mean we spent a lot of time trying to come up with the, the right name for the hotel and uh, you know, a name that also, you know, was appropriate for the hotel, but then also maybe we could take to other hotels if we want to build a brand, you know? So uh, I, I really. The, the 12, the 12 point in. Or <laughs> yeah, exactly. The like antler that. in. Yeah. The new antler in as it's called now. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the new antler <laughs> yeah. But I, I really like that a lot. This, yeah, that, it, that piece of it that I hadn't experienced with the multifamily to the same extent. Yeah. Well, I'd imagine it's it's especially important on these smaller hotels where you don't have all the amenities. You know, you don't you you go to the whatever the Holiday Inn or whatever it is, and they've got the gym, they've got the pool, they've got you know they got all the amenities that anybody wants. And so you go to the smaller boutique hotel. How can you provide an experience? How can you provide value to? the younger generation, especially who is more picky. And I would, I would say, you know, if you're catering to 70 year olds, 80 year olds, you know, the, the silent generation or the baby boomer generation, a high older baby boomer, you probably don't have to worry as much about it. They're not, but the younger generations I think are much pickier. They just expect more. It's just how it is. Uh, and so you got to provide it. For yeah. And that's, you know, you do that through design, right? I mean, you do it through having a really, like well-designed space that is really comfortable. Yeah. And like in this hotel too, I mean, it has spectacular views. That's a lot of the reason why people are going to be there. There, mm -hmm. there actually is a hotel, sorry, is a pool and a restaurant with this oh, nice. as well. So that, uh, which is all being redesigned. Yeah, we're, and we're, we have to tear down the pool because it's beyond its useful life, but we're going to replace it with an infinity pool. So that's going to be mm. 
really a drawing factor too. So, I mean, we won't necessarily be able to repeat that on other properties that we buy, but I think there is the opportunity to kind of look for unique properties or, you know, I, I like the idea of thinking about how you build a, a brand out of this, as opposed to just like a one-off, you buy this property, you know, the, and you call it the, the whatever at whatever, you know, like everything is named now, yeah. um, you know, thinking about, well, if you're going to build a brand and you're going to be buying a whole bunch of different assets in different places, what's the thing that ties them together? And, and what I, so there's the design, if they look consistent, that's one thing, but also I think what I've been thinking about is there has to be something unique about the property and the location, right? So that we can kind of say, okay, you know, all of our properties are unique. There's like a unique experience like because yeah. of where it is and what it looks over and stuff like that yeah i can't remember who i was talking to or how it came up but somebody made a, a comment like about you know holiday and best western um you know you name it marriott and and when you say those names certain people that's their hotel right yep. and and so you go there's certain people that are just best western people they see best western that's where they're staying they, they see a drury Inn, that's where they're staying they see a holiday whatever that's where they're staying they just have that name recognition and uh, you could probably create very similar with your more boutique hotels and and where that is the experience if somebody sees that brand they already recognize it with excellence with a great place to stay great service all that kind of stuff and they're going let's stay there you know, we got yeah. the antler in or we got, you know, Jonathan Twombly's uh, hotel and we're going to stay at that one because yeah. we know what it is. We know the experience that we're going to get there. That's the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, back to the economy. I think it's you're right. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. We'll see what types of discounts we'll see it depends on, you know, how many things that you mentioned are going to come true, right? Do, do rents, uh, start to see a decrease? Do, do uh, vacancy rates go up? Uh, you know, and, and how high? And uh, how many of these people that maybe bought a little riskier project or whatever it is, how many of those people need to sell or forced to sell or get foreclosed on or have, you know, the, the lender breathing down their neck, you know, kind of all depends how much of that really happens to, to see the types of discounts. But I do agree with you. I think we're going to see some opportunities out there. Uh, there is a lot of capital chasing it, so I don't know how good they're going to get, but I do feel like we'll see a little bit of little bit of opportunity. So that that's a that's exciting. Um, but you also never want to see, of course, people people get hurt, uh, which ultimately probably will happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know what you'll see is the the stronger players will continue to buy, right? But I think a lot of the weaker players will just not be able to they won't be able to get the debt they won't be able to raise the equity uh and they they they're not gonna be able to compete so i think that'll cause a, a bit of softening in in pricing and and i do think you're starting to see a little bit i mean just literally before we got on something flashed across my inbox that, that i didn't quite have a chance to to read but about uh you know vacancies ticking up i think it was like in a third a third of the markets across the country vacancies are, are up now now by how much you know we don't know. And they've been so low for so long that they could still be very strong occupancies, but the trend could be going in the wrong direction. And if you've yep. underwritten things too tight, right, or you've everything yeah. has been priced to perfection, 
uh, and, and it's not perfect anymore, then, you know, it's surprisingly little can cause some, some deals to not, not work out. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I think exciting times, fun, interesting times. I agree with you. You think about it and I never quite thought about it like that, but there's a lot of these syndicators or investors that maybe don't have quite the reputation or quite the experience. And so it's going to be harder for them to raise, you know, right now raising a million dollars just isn't that difficult. A couple million, three million, four million, you put together a couple people, you can easily come up with, you know, two, three, five million dollars. But what's going to happen, you know, as, as the economy starts to shift and are those people still going to be able to raise that capital? The answer is probably to, to your point, probably no. And so that leaves less buyers in the market, which leaves less competition, which ultimately ends up favoring the buyers uh, a little bit better. Absolutely. So love it, man. Um, okay. A couple last questions. What are you reading today? What, what's a, a book uh, that you've read, you know, maybe this year that you've really enjoyed? So I'm almost done with a book called uh, the children of Ash and Elm, which is about the Vikings. Hmm. Um, so that's, that's been really fun because it's it's actually not the typical book about the Vikings where it's just like oh they attacked here and then they attacked there and then they attacked there. It's it's actually really attempting to get at what drove the Vikings, like what kind of larger forces were driving them to to expand out the way that they did uh, when they did. So yeah, it's really fascinating book. Cool. Um, what's a daily habit that? Uh you know, it was really help, really helps you. So I, I'm have become really big on planners, right. And so I use a planning, um, a planner by Michael Hyatt. I don't know if you know who he is, yep. but um, free, free to focus. And, and I've just found it extremely helpful where you're kind of like planning on a, on a quarterly, yeah. monthly and weekly basis and kind of every week reviewing your progress and kind of setting out your big, rocks you know that you have to hit and I, I really i can i can literally tell the difference on a day when i've like sat down properly and done my kind of look forward to the day and, and the days when i don't in terms of like my productivity and and even just my my mental like outlook for the day so it just really helps me get set and get focused What's a mistake that you've made um, and how can our listeners learn from it? Well, I mean, uh, going way back when I first started doing deals, um, a mistake that I made was relying too much on the seller's financials in underwriting deals uh, and not understanding that my cost structure was going to be much different than, than their cost structure. And so yeah. Um, I, I definitely, I think the first deal I did, I definitely overpaid for the deal, even though I thought I was getting a good deal and everybody, the broker said, I got a good, everybody said I got a good deal. I, I, I think I overpaid because, uh, I didn't really understand that I wasn't going to get like those insurance rates. And like, I wasn't going to mm. be able to run the property with one person, you know, like that, the yeah. guys, that sort of yeah. thing. So, um, yeah, believing too much in what the seller provides, and the seller might be able to run it for well, that. You know, it's, it's maybe not that the sellers. Oh no, they weren't. The seller wasn't lying. The seller just was. <laughs> Sometimes they are, yeah, so, but, <laughs> but these were like this wasn't the pro forma. I mean, this was their actual 
Yeah, this is what they were yeah. doing, but yeah. doesn't mean that you can run it like exactly. that efficiently. And the other thing you got to think about is, well, why is the property operating like it is, right? Sometimes you're going, hey, this is such a good deal because rents are under and, you know, the vacancy's too high, it's higher than the market. And you go, okay, I can do this. And then, but you're using the seller's expenses. Well, wait a second. The reason why the rents are low and the vacancy's high is because the seller's not spending any money on their property. I mean, another mistake I made on that first property, which I'll never do again, is that um, I didn't realize that the property had a bad reputation in the market mm. and we didn't rebrand it, right? And we should have oh, just yeah. like the first thing we should have done was just go in there and change yep. the name like day one yeah. to just announce to the market like, hey, new owners in town. And the thing that was kind of amazing yeah. is that the place had never changed its name. You know, it, it, since it was built in the 70s, it had never changed its hmm. name, but it had been through like, you know, six or seven owners and they'd all kept the same name the whole time. But we should have just gone in and just like changed the name is, and, yeah. you know, and and just announced like, hey, new sheriff in town. It's not, this, not the yeah. same old place that you guys, you know, are, are, are used to not renting at, <laughs> you know? Yeah, especially when it's got a bad reputation. That name change can be so so valuable and quick, right? Name change and a little bit of work on the exterior, a yep. little bit of landscaping, a little bit of paint. What new do we, new what sign, do we do? new sign makes such yeah, a yeah, new sign. I mean, oh yeah. yeah. Putting a new sign out front just is really it's a really good use of your money. Yep, agreed. All right, Jonathan, last question. What are your three pillars of wealth creation? Uh, consistency, consistency, and consistency. Hmm. Um, I, I would say those are really the, the the three most important things. Whatever it is that you choose to do, you know, sort of whether it's marketing your business or networking or talking with brokers or whatever it is that you're doing, like you have to do it consistently, right? So when when people ask me, like, well, how do you get investors? You know, I say, well, there's lots of different ways you can get investors. You could start a podcast. You could have a Facebook group. You could have, you could go out and network one-on-one. -on -one. But the thing is that you have to do it consistently. They'll all work if you, but you have to do yeah. them. You can't go out yeah. and network one time and That's then say, a good oh, point. That, that didn't work. So I'll do a podcast. And then you put up two episodes and then yep. you're like, oh, that didn't work. So I'll try a Facebook group. It, it almost doesn't matter what you do, but do it, own it, stick with it. And that's the key to success. Yeah, hundred hundred percent. It's so easy to get, you know. I think it's part of that shiny object or whatever. You just like you get distracted so easy. You say, "Oh, I'm going to try this." Ah, oh, it didn't work. It did. You know, I, I hosted a meetup and only three people came. I'm not going to host a meetup anymore. Well, you've hosted one. Like, of course, three people are going to show up. How about you host fifty of them and see what happens? I think people don't realize um, how long it takes these things to get traction. Right. But then once you get the traction, how easy it is to maintain the traction. Then you can maintain. Yes. Yeah. I, lo I love that. Absolutely. All right, man. Uh, look, I really appreciate your time. Appreciate the uh, value you've been able to add. I, I, you know, exciting about the hotels. I'm interested to see how that evolves. Um, how can our listeners get in touch with you and learn more about what you got going on? So a couple of ways, uh, the direct way, if you just want to uh, get on my investor list, is to go Google Two Bridges Asset Management LLC. Uh, it will pop right up if you do that. It's easier than explaining the URL because uh, another mistake I made is funky URL. So get a, get a simple URL for yourself if you start a business. 
just Google Two Bridges Asset Management. Uh, and the other uh, place you can go if you want to get on uh, my list and see more sort of educational materials and content like that is go to apartmentinvestorsclub.com and uh, you know, you'll see my podcast and you'll see all the stuff they have to offer there. Love it. Jonathan, again, really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for your time. And, uh, you know, listeners, look, reach out to him. Uh, he's here. He, he's gave, he gave you his information. Reach out to him, connect. Like he's got, Jonathan's got just a ton of value to be able to add the Facebook group, all that kind of stuff. Just, just a lot of value. And I appreciate you being so giving to everybody. I know I've learned from you. I know everybody that uh, comes in contact you to probably learns a couple of, uh, of key golden nuggets. So appreciate your time. Thanks. I appreciate it very much. Oh, and I forgot to mention, we're having a conference in April, 2023. So reach yeah. out to me for more information about that. And hopefully we're going to have Todd speaking there too. So let's do it. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and also look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.